0: It's time for Talking Pictures Trivia. A quick friendly reminder, if you are over the blue line before the puck is, you're off sides.
1: Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host Nick and with me is Tom and KJ. It really is great to have you back as always. Additionally, joining us as a guest for this episode is... Chris. Thanks for joining us today. Chris is my friend from college who brought both laughs and expertise to the Spaceballs and Halloween episodes. We checked again and Chris still conveniently likes movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. Then once the fierce competition is over, We followed up with our famous movie rant where anything goes. KJ, tell us about today's TV show.
0: Today, we are going back one year ago to 2020. Most of us are stuck home for the first time in our lives. The future is uncertain. And if I may give you an investing tip for the time, invest in streaming services. Disney Plus is Disney's main source of revenue at this time. And there's a lot of content and a lot of Star Wars content, including the focus of today's episode, Dave Filoni's Clone Wars. Dave Filoni is also known for directing a few episodes of Nickelodeon's Avatar, The Last Airbender, Disney Channel's Star Wars Rebels, and Disney Plus's The Mandalorian. Other popular TV shows last year include HBO's The Undoing, CBS's Star Trek Picard, Netflix's Tiger King, and Hulu's Devs. Nick,
1: what are the final four episodes of Clone Wars all about? The conclusion of the Clone Wars TV show is presented as a four-part film due to the scope of material and its direct reference to events within the main Star Wars Skywalker saga. We'll do our best to stay within the scope of the Siege of Mandalore arc. However, tangential Star Wars canon references are fair game. So a general Star Wars spoiler should be assumed. At the onset, we're briefly introduced to Star Wars icons such as Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi, but then our focus promptly shifts to another series of characters as they navigate the resolution of the galactic conflict. This includes citizen Ahsoka Tano, the once Jedi Padawan of Anakin, prior Darth Sidious apprentice Lord Maul, and the clone troopers, specifically Commander Rex. Additionally, Mandalore and quest to free her homeworld from Maul's grasp is accomplished through a tenuous alliance with the Galactic Republic. We find out that Maul's war was a ruse for a higher purpose but he didn't trap the prize he was baiting. Ahsoka bests Maul and Mandalore is retaken, but at what cost? A great disturbance is felt by all those force sensitive as Sidious initiates Order 66 in which the clones are mandated to turn on the Jedi. Ahsoka cleverly removes Rex's inhibitor chip freeing him from this compulsion. And the two plot an escape plan from the crashing Star Destroyer. Maul cunningly flees. Ahsoka and Rex are the only survivors. After a proper burial of the fallen clones, Ahsoka fakes her death and goes into hiding. Some time passes and we see the wreckage and the discarded lightsaber through a new lens, that of Darth Vader. So that's all that really happened in this uh, event here. KJ, if you only had one word to describe these episodes from the Clone Wars, what would it be?
0: Demystifying. Tom? Machiavellian. Chris? I would say evasive.
1: My word would be Ahsoka. It's time for question one. What color are Ahsoka Tano's lightsabers? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. KJ, would you like to lead us?
0: The lightsabers
2: given to her by Anakin are blue.
1: I believe it is Chris.
2: Yeah, the lightsabers that she gets are her old lightsabers, which are blue, even though they should be white.
1: Tom. I said blue as well. Everyone will receive one point. The reason I brought this one up is depending on when you're looking and what book or show or movie you're watching, the answer changes. Earlier in the Clone Wars, her lightsaber was green. The ones that are within these episodes are blue and the Rebellion era, her lightsabers are white. Chris, I think you were about to bring up something of a inconsistency, perhaps?
2: I mean, we could talk about inconsistencies through this and everything. We could take <laughs> an entire hour to talk about inconsistencies. So honestly, even at, you don't really know exactly when they turn to white, although they definitely should. And there are some canon stories about how the Kyber crystals themselves can change so I think the latest canon for Sith lightsabers is that they actually, the, the Sith Lord actually makes the kyber crystal bleed, which is why it turns red. So they actually have to find kyber crystals from fallen Jedi and turn them dark to make them into the red color. I don't know if it's ever been explained how Ahsoka's went to white, but since she's not really a Jedi, as you mentioned in your intro, they, they shouldn't be blue.
3: Anakin does when he gives them back to her, mention something. He gives them to her, good as, and he says, good as new. Then she turns them on and he goes, maybe better than new. Is that what he meant by that? Because I didn't, I had no idea what that line meant.
0: Yeah, I had assumed he had either, I, I didn't even realize they were her lightsabers. I thought he either had made new ones or had, like Tom's saying, fixed the old ones, upgraded the old ones. I, I thought he had modified them in some way.
3: Well, if he says good as new, that implies. They were hers at one point. That's true. That's true.
1: He did. Uh, Earlier, when she was a Padawan, they were green. And his is blue. And now
3: hers. Is Is that a good thing, that they're blue? Is that like a better quality of crystal?
1: No. I think it just shows a a further connection between the two of them.
3: Oh, because his is blue?
1: Yes. So... The reason I brought this question up, which is this is tying perfectly into, a lot of the Clone Wars and specifically this arc, I feel is Ahsoka's story. Ahsoka was Dave Filoni's baby, if you will. And this is where she was introduced into the Star Wars universe. And now she has been shown not only in Rebels at a different stage, but also in uh, the Mandalore. So she has now gone through different generations of Star Wars, but this is kind of where it all began. And I really find her story and her character very interesting within the Star Wars universe. So that's why I wanted to talk a little bit about what Ah Ahsoka means for Star Wars. She seems to
3: be um, the person who recognizes, now this is, uh, let me just put this in context for our audience. I, I'm i not the biggest Star Wars fan. And so I have seen exactly the required episodes for this episode of Talking Pictures Trivia. So um, I, I could be wrong about a lot of this. A lot of this is guess, But it appears that she is the person who recognizes problems with the Jedi Order in a way that's interesting because Maul seems to see those same problems. Now, they're seeing them from different sides. Maul is... Uh, is a strict Machiavellian, hence the word I used, and she has a sort of faith in in the system. Um, but they, but a lot of the episodes seem to be predicated on the fact that she is an outsider, and that seems to allow her to, in some way, get away from Order sixty six and
1: the the eradication of the Jedi. To give you a little background on that, because it, of course, it wasn't required watching to see the rest of the Clone Wars, there is an incident where the Jedi question her accountability in events, which forces her to lose faith in the the Jedi and leave the order. So, and and you have to realize too, her um, master was also someone who always kind of, played in the gray area or bend the rules and didn't follow the council. So she had this little rebellious streak in her anyway, which hers manifests differently than Anakin. And that's actually one of the things I wanted to talk about here too. Ahsoka is another person that Anakin was close to that lost, that he lost. He lost her when she left the order. That really was a turning point where he also started to lose faith in what the jedi were doing because this is someone he was very close to almost family and she pretty much was like i'm leaving it's not what i was told it was going to be and i feel that personally as a star wars fan that really is part of that steep decline the beginning of that steep decline of losing faith and eventually being tempted by the dark side
2: i think i think we have to understand that star wars is always for kids Everything that George Lucas ever designed, whether it was the original movies, the Clone Wars, or anything else he had his hands in, was always designed for kids. Uh, And I think Ahsoka is supposed to be you. I think Ahsoka is supposed to be you, the 12-year-old, watching the TV show, going on an adventure with Obi-Wan and Anakin and all of your favorite Star Wars characters. I think that's where she starts. I think she then morphs into almost a bridge to, to kind of give you a reason why Darth Vader would do what he does. So we're led to believe that Anakin is this nice young boy. And then all of a sudden in episode three, we see him go deep diving into the dark side. And the turn is very sudden. The turn is, is super, if you're just watching episode three, it's probably not very good. Like you probably don't even see why it happens. I think she is supposed to be the conscious observer that gives you a deeper look inside the Jedi order that gives you a deeper look inside how they're flawed, gives you a deeper look inside that Anakin really is a good guy until stuff goes wrong for him. And he, that she is another way that you can see it. And I think Nick is onto something where he says that that's a loss that he suffers. Even before he loses Padme, he loses Ahsoka because of the way the Jedi order treated her during her, her trial. Yeah.
3: And it, it's interesting what what they keep in uh, from episode three. There's the meeting of the council that is from episode three, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. So there's this what for our audience there's this one scene where Ahsoka goes to meet with the the Jedi Council in you know in the the holograph conference room. Um, that's taken from episode three. Ah, Ahsoka's not in episode three, but it's like two minutes later when she walks in the room and they continue it. And the the bit of conversation they choose to keep is um, them deciding that they have to take out the chancellor and that this is something they have to do with a great deal of delicacy, right? With delicacy, we must do this, yes. Or however, Yoda, I gotta tell you, Ep- Yoda in episode three drove me crazy. I wanted that puppet to shut up. I, I couldn't, but anyway, that's tangential, um, and and I think what you see in that, and I think why that little clip is so important, uh, why to preserve that, is you you see the kind of power the Jedi have, and kind of how in the shadows they are, and also how they, despite being good, we we always are rooting for these people. It's sort of um, it's sort of been misused, and Ahsoka as. sort of outside observer seems to be someone who can do the good despite the fact that the jedi have kind of failed to not because they've gone evil or gone to the dark side they just have not managed this system very well and then darth vader or, or anakin is somebody who has seen the same kind of corruption but he's um he's responded to it in a way that's highly negative
0: so it's interesting what you're saying tom about the the jedi not being able to maintain the good. The these four episode arc starts with Anakin walking out and lying uh, to trick the separatists, the droids, um, right off the bat. Um, And, you know, they're they're, in other parts of Star Wars. You hear some characters say, oh, I don't trust the Jedi. You know, they're, they're kind of these witches or wizards that that trick people. So I guess we got to see that firsthand. Right, that was an example of literally a Jedi coming out lying for his own benefit and then slaughtering a bunch of robots in this case.
3: but And even beyond that, they violate a hundred year old treaty to go into Mandalore, right? Because it's the you know quote unquote right thing to do. And maybe it is, but that's kind of problematic, right? You know right And, and it, you don't need that bit of plot detail. I don't think anyway. And yet it's there and I think it's it's a smart, show for that reason. Um, and, and what's great about Ahsoka, um, you know, is that she is able to, we're able to see her respond to, I said this already, but we're able to see her respond well as in a positive way to the flaws in the Jedi and kind of go her own way, which typically means go to the dark side. But with her, it's it's this kind of third way, right? It's a fighter for the light but who isn't, who isn't um, restrained by the order, or, or forced by the order into some direction or other.
1: I'm sure we're going to go into the overall conflict a little bit later. So there was actually purpose to the whole Mandalore, but I want to stay a little bit focused on Ahsoka for this portion. And what I would say from my read of Ahsoka through this and other materials I think they're trying to show that Ahsoka is the ideal Jedi. She doesn't need the badge of being a Jedi. She needs to live that way, to have the mantra of being a Jedi, not just have the robes and have a lightsaber, but really live with that ideals and morality. Whereas this whole Clone Wars series, whether it's what we're watching here or the prequel era that covers this mostly episode two and three, we're really seeing the Jedi lose their way. They're almost doing things, as KJ said. Now, Anakin, they go through great length to say that he does these kind of shenanigans regardless if the the overall Jedi agree with it or not. But I think the Jedi organization as a whole are also starting to embrace these tactics. And that's what we're seeing, that slow degradation throughout this conflict of the ends justify the means versus what they truly stand for. And I know even in offline conversations, we've talked about And they say it in the show. They were not. Ahsoka specifically says it. I wasn't raised to be a general, but all I've ever done is fight. I was raised for peace. And she's the only one deep in this conflict still saying this kind of rhetoric and trying to live by it. When they're escaping the Star Destroyer, even though her life is on the line, she's still trying to preserve the lives of the clones that are trying to kill her. So I'd say she is probably she probably embodies what the jedi should have been and in some new material that's coming out the high republic maybe we'll see jedi like that in other content but I, i don't want to go into that that's a new era of star wars that's going to be explored now that we've really beaten up this whole skywalker saga to death uh they're trying to find a new territory but that's what i would say that's why i thought ahsoka is a very important character for the Clone Wars, for Star Wars, and specifically for this arc.
2: I, I think I think so I, I wouldn't say Ahsoka's the perfect Jedi. I would say she's the perfect Force user of the galaxy. Because I think inherently to be a Jedi is to be imperfect. And to be a Sith is to be imperfect. But she rides that fine line between like, there doesn't have to be a code. If somebody needs help, I'm going to help them. Because if you're, if I know Tom might not know this, but if you go back to, the whole, because the Clone Wars is where we meet Saw Gerrera for the first time. She wants to help the people of that planet, and the Jedi say no, because it is against their code, or it's it's against the 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 Republic at the time, or they're not they're not part of the Republic, so they can't help them. But Ahsoka is basically the impetus to say, listen, we need to help these people out, even if it's just not directly fighting, but training them, and that rolls you into Rogue One and all some more of the Star Wars universe. So I, I would say that she's the she is the quintessential or perfect galactic citizen in doing the best thing doing the right thing calling for calling bs when she sees it and then being able to walk away and not just buy into what's the tradition when if the tradition's not right and i think her one of the best scenes that's not in this dark unfortunately is her walking down the jedi temple steps away from anakin as she's basically giving up what she's, the only thing she's known her entire life, she's giving up because she doesn't believe in it in her heart.
1: I would agree with you. Jedi is just a label in that as we grew up, we just assumed people who had the force were Jedi. And this really shows you that's not necessarily the case now. She is a good person versus organized religion. (laughs) So they may have all their different objectives and I'm not picking on religion, okay? Uh, But I'm just saying in this world, Jedi is... A pseudo-religion and Sith is a pseudo-religion. And she is choosing neither of those but to live a good life and help people out. So she chose her own path. I think that was well put Chris.
3: Yeah it's it's uh it's interesting. It's a it's a religion that has this kind of like um martial responsibility to a state which is a weird you know kind of um kind of wu-tang <laughs> sort of sort of idea.
1: I bet you if you go back in history, that's not necessarily the role they play. And I was alluding to some new content that's coming out. I'm curious if we will see that a little Hmm. bit more in the High Republic. At the peak of the Jedi organization, they have aligned themselves to peace being the Galactic Republic being maintained in these films. I'd like to see a little bit more of that backstory. The books just came out, so this is something that – I just haven't had a chance to get into yet and maybe we will or will not get more on that. But you're right, it is a little odd. There is not necessarily uh, using these kind of analogies a separation of church and state in this world. So, and that ends up being their downfall, which we're going to explore, I'm sure, in, in further questions as well as dialogue.
0: It's time for question
1: two. Why did the renegade Sith, Lord Maul, Make his presence available to be leaked to the Grand Army of the Republic. Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. Chris, we're going to start with
2: you. I'm going to have an answer that's, that's, I don't, I, you might think it's right. You might think it's wrong. I'm not sure. The answer is crazy. I think this is always Darth Sidious's plan. That Maul in the episodes says that he is trying to lure Anakin Skywalker there. That's his, that's his tent. That's why he's, he wants Obi-Wan and Anakin to come there so that he can have revenge on Obi-Wan. I think that all of this was orchestrated by the Emperor and Maul is still a pawn because the Emperor wants Ahsoka on Mandalore because the only way that Anakin falls to the Emperor is if Ahsoka's not there to stop him.
0: Maul says he wants to capture Anakin because Palpatine wants Anakin. So he lets his presence be known because he's hoping Anakin will come for him.
3: Yes, it's in order to capture Anakin, to, you know, palaver with him in in order to um, turn him away from, from Sidious, to stop Sidious, ultimately. I just want to say, I really liked Chris's answer. I liked
2: the
0: other side of the coin.
2: The only reason I'm the only reason I'm saying this is because Darth Maul this entire series of of movies whether it's the prequel whether it's this whether it's rebels he's always felt himself to be in control when he has had absolutely no control whatsoever. He has always been Palpatine's pawn. And in every iteration of fiction and every iteration of movie or TV show we have been led to believe that Sidious's plans have been deeper and deeper and deeper and the roots go further than we even could possibly know even even still. Uh, So Maul is under the impression That he is doing this on his own But here's, here's where I'm going to jump in with that Gar Saxon is the guy that rescues Darth Maul So if you recall from I guess it's season 5 of the Clone Wars Sidious goes and kills Savage Goes and captures Maul And says I have plans for you You don't see Maul again Until he shows up on Mandalore In this series In, in season 7 There's a comic book called The Sons of Dathomir where Gar Saxon, who is a Mandalorian, who will eventually become the Mandalorian leader under the Empire, he goes and rescues Maul and brings Maul back to Mandalore where, where he can do his business. And even if Maul thinks that his trap is for Anakin, I think the Emperor had been planning this all along. Whether it was like telling Gar Saxon, go break him out and take him to Mandalore so that he can think he's gonna do something grandiose, or whether it was just he knew the destiny that was going to take place because of his Sith powers. But I, I, I very, very strongly believe that the, the reason why Maul is there is not what he thinks it is, that it is to pull Ahsoka away. Because if, if Anakin is there, Padme is a, is a balancing force for him. And I think that if anything the Clone Wars has shown you that so is Ahsoka. So you take Padme away from him by killing her at the end of episode three, and you take Ahsoka out of the picture by having her engage with Maul. Now you have Anakin all by himself and the Emperor can manipulate him and throw Mace Window out of window.
1: Well, as I take the power granted upon me as Quizzer quite seriously, KJ and Tom, would you again refresh what you said?
3: He wants to attract Anakin to the planet. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, I'm with Tom. Yeah, he 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 wants to bait Anakin there. I,
1: I don't know who
3: any of those people are that that you talked about, Chris. Like, who is the who's the person who rescues Maul?
2: In in the in the four episodes that we watched, Gar Saxon is the Mandalorian with the Sith like spikes on his head, the uh the Zabarik spikes on his head. He he's not even named, I don't think, in the in the episode, but maybe once. But he becomes a, an important character in the Rebels series. And he's in that comic book that I referenced as well.
3: Does he fight Bo-Katan in the elevator scene? Is that who that is?
2: I think he might. I don't remember exactly. He he pops up three or four times, but he's only ever named, mm-hmm. I think, once.
0: There's a quick scene where Maul mess or there's a quick scene where he messages Maul and says, hey, I need your help down here. And Maul's like, you're on your own. Die well, man. Oh, that's that guy. Okay. That guy
3: hmm and and so okay all right fair enough
1: okay so the points are going to go to half a point to tom and half a point to kj no points to chris although i love his theory so the reason you're only getting half a point is yes he wanted to take him there but he wanted to kill anakin you guys made it sound like he wanted to have a chit chat with him So he wanted to just, and and the reason I went with this Chris, even though I love the theory crafting you have going on there, I was going for more of a literal mind's eye from these specific episodes. And uh, Maul specifically states that he wants to destroy Anakin Skywalker depriving Sidious of his prized pupil. So he thought if he killed Anakin, he would be able to stop this entire machine that Sidious had designed. So the reason I wanna bring this one up, and I I really like where Chris was going with this, this episode was entitled The Phantom Apprentice. Of the arc, I think this was my favorite episode because it really relayed a lot of information that was missing pieces within the major Skywalker saga movies. We found out a little bit more about what Sidious was planning and who knew it at different times. I think it is interesting to hear what Chris was saying about the pawn. Maul always thinks he's acting independently. So I I really had trouble not giving Chris any points there because I was sticking with the source material we had here. But I, I do think that was a very interesting analysis. Now, what was also interesting in this is Ahsoka's response to this revelation that the phantom apprentice is actually Anakin. And she says the following lines. I know, Anakin, your vision is flawed. Now, Chris may have already shared a bunch of his feelings on this, but what do you guys have to think about her interpretation of the, the you know, the mic being dropped there?
3: Oh, yeah, it's great. Because what's interesting about the conflict between them is Maul, I, I'm going to... Chris, I'm going to put aside your your analysis just because i'm I'm not familiar with much of what you said. So my interpretation of of this scene based upon the 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 brackets around what what I, I'm aware of is that Maul is the the most aware person here, um, not only in terms of the literal plans of Sidious, but also in terms of kind of the nature of, of the galaxy of of kind of the, the political galaxy and so the, the politics of the galaxy rather and so um so he, his interaction with her is really interesting because the way i read it is she's so turned off by the things he said which are all true that she actually responds quite poorly she doesn't you know team up with him to stop to stop star wars hitler right <laughs> you know she she, she just refuses because you know you don't team up with mussolini to stop hitler right so but however she's doing this based on um a complete misunderstanding of the politics of the situation uh and so you know what's interesting about this is you want to kind of cheer her on for the good fight to to stop the villain that you know has inspired this war. However, it seems like she's really not doing the the kind of politically expedient and maybe even practically intelligent thing in the moment by by seeking him in
1: battle. I have a quick news flash. After pondering this some more, I do think Chris also is warranted a half a point. Wow.
0: The late half a point coming in. <laughs> So I was a little confused about the scene. I guess I think it's in this the Phantom Apprentice episode. So they're in a throne room and they fight, right? They fight. And then Maul's like, join me. And she's like, okay. And then I think she says, What's your plans for Anakin? And he says, whatever. And then she's like, No, then I don't want to join you. Wasn't that a weird moment where she's like, Yeah, oh yeah, okay, fine. I'll join you. Like it was, it was a it didn't fit the narrative or or
3: my but I misunderstand that it's well, but what turns her off is him recognizing what is actually happening. He tells her Anakin's become, you know, Anakin's the apprentice. Anakin is the phantom apprentice. He is the one who is going to, to change the state. And she refuses to believe this because she has this, this, I I don't know if you call it doe-eyed view of Anakin, um, and it causes her to engage Maul in battle. I think
1: is talking about the split second before that, where he's laying out Sidious's plan. And I think there was a moment there where she was saying, oh yeah, that guy's really doing some bad stuff. I'll help you with that. But immediately, immediately flips the whole script just by the mention of Anakin, where it was a little tough even for me, that she's like, wait, you know this guy's horrible, right? But I think she was trying to figure out what was the greater evil, but then came to her senses again very quickly.
2: If you remember a little bit earlier, and I don't know if it's that episode or the episode before it, uh, she's being briefed before they leave, before they separate, and she's being briefed by, I believe it's Obi-Wan is talking about Darth Maul and like, oh, he's hard to kill, blah, 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 blah. They also also dropped the name of Sidious then, and they want more information on him because at the time, that they don't know that Palpatine is Sidious, and they, they, have a sus- they have a suspicion, and they even say they're going to send Anakin to watch him, as which she then replies, you mean spy on him, which I'm sure he doesn't like. So she, once again, in that scene, I know this is not what we're talking about, but that scene kind of solidifies the fact that she does not agree with the Jedi, that th- she's helping them out because she knows she can because she's a good galactic citizen, uh, and I think that the fight with Maul and the, the trying to like reason with him in that instant is because sh- her goals are to to get after Sidious, that she knows that Maul's a pawn and that he's just a means to an end. And that end is information on Sidious. Once he brings Anakin into it, she then goes from being level headed to taking it personally. And then it becomes an all out fight.
0: So she lies. She doesn't intend to join him.
2: I don't know. She, I don't think she has any inclination to join a Sith user or a dark Side user or do anything evil. I, I can't say that she's not lying, that she'll help to get rid of Sidious. But I, I, I don't think she has any desire to become a Sith apprentice, which in Maul's track record, ever since the Phantom Menace and he gets chopped in half, that's literally all he's wanted to do. He's wanted to become a Sith master and have an apprentice of his own. This is the second of three attempts that fail miserably for him.
0: If she is lying and her intent is not to join him, then that kind of echoes the beat from the first episode where Anakin lies to the to the bots, right? She is then doing what's, you know, what the, she's tricking. She's being uh, false. She,
2: she, is, she is his Padawan. Like, he, he taught her everything she knows. And even though Obi-Wan is there with her for a, a good portion of it, there are plenty of beats that she takes directly from Anakin. Just so happens to be the good stuff.
1: She plays in the gray area. What can I ask uh,
3: those who are more expert than me? Um, what What do you mean by she plays in the gray area? Because what I get from that is kind of a mixture of light and dark, but I don't think that that's no, what you mean.
1: more of a means to an end. Just like Chris was saying, there was an example, unfortunately not from these episodes where she wanted to help these people, but the, politics were not allowing it so she found another way to get to what she thought was the greater good she's not going to toe the company line if she thinks there's something right that needs yeah
2: she doesn't turn her back on need just because it's not what the jedi order says she finds ways around is exactly like anakin does anakin finds ways to do things like when the jedi council won't send him on assignment somewhere for whatever reason he sends her or he finds I'm going to I'm going to take this ship and not say that it's me that's going or I'm going to wear a helmet when I go that way nobody knows it's me leaving like she has learned to do what needs to be done for for the good for the greater good Uh, she just doesn't go down the dark path that Anakin does
1: a perfect example of that within this arc is when Anakin divides the 501st legion so that Commander Rex is in charge and then Ahsoka is a consultant. <laughs> so that's a perfect example of how Anakin played within the rules set to kind of get what he needs done, but blended, play in that gray area.
3: Which is interesting because when we talk about the the gray area, it's it's an interesting metaphor. Um, it's a dangerous thing to do, right? To, to play in the gray area. I mean, the, the Jedi, I think we, we all kind of agree on this, I'm not sure about KJ, but the Jedi are, are a little problematic. However, the institutional constraints prevent, if you stay within them, prevent a Darth Vader, right? They may also prevent an Ahsoka, but they do prevent a Darth Vader. So there are benefits to what we might see as the over-politicization uh, of the Jedi Order.
1: Well, those were some interesting answers to these questions starting in round one. At the conclusion of round one, after much thought and deliberation, everyone is tied at one and a half points. I had to, that last one, I really, really weighed on me there. So everyone got a piece of the puzzle there. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. In round two, each question will be worth a whopping two points versus the one that were awarded in round one. We'll see you soon.
3: Hi, I'm Quasimodo, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. If you're anything like me, you spend most of your time working and hanging out near enormous deafening church bells, which won't stop ringing, no matter what. The only time I don't spend having my head pounded in by two-ton migraine machines... I spend walking around 15th century Paris, listening to idiots screaming in French about the health risks related to not drinking enough wine, while trying to avoid horse leavings. There's horse crap everywhere. I mean, really, everywhere, and everyone smells like it too. It's just, I I can't even... Seriously, no one bathes. Also, lice. No one doesn't have lice. It sucks. I hate Paris. I hate France. I hate my life. However, recently, an angel from the Lord above, the same Lord who made this disgusting place with the loud bells and the lice, sent his archangel Ronaldo to me one Christmas Eve with just a tad bit of salvation. Noise-dampening deodorant. Earburn Cosmetics' new noise-muffling, smell-good, male hygienic solution. Just apply the deodorant stick under both your arms, and not only will you smell less like horse dung than anyone else in the capital city, you also won't suffer permanent hearing loss while ringing giant bells in an enormous Gothic house of worship. Smell like a mountain breeze as you strut around Paris without having to hear a word of garbled French. Impress the local lecherous cardinal with new confidence and a strut in your step. Take it from me, Quasimodo, Paris is a lot more beautiful when it's quiet. Although it is still covered in horse and pig droppings, the deodorant doesn't help with the mounds of waste product. But, you know what? It's fine. It's fine. That's noise-dampening deodorant from Earburn Cosmetics. Smell. Quietly.
1: And we're back. Before we start off round two, we ask each one of our guests a critical question about midway through the episode here. And the question today for you, Chris, is, if you could watch this TV show with anyone dead or alive, who would it be?
2: Well, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, as I'm sure you kind of gathered. Uh, I would say Filoni, only because he's kind of like the heir apparent of George Lucas. He knows the story. He knows the ins and outs. He, he knows where... All the skeletons are hidden he knows how where this is going and where it began and things like that uh but i have to say that i would i would love to watch star wars whether it's this show or anything with harrison ford because he detests it so much that i would love to <laughs> see his reaction to like you know anything anything in there like darth maul and her fighting like i'm sure he would find something to nitpick and hate about it because he just hates being asked about star wars it's it's amazing also, somebody has to tell him that the earring looks ridiculous.
0: <laughs> yeah, it would be funny to, to watch any Star Wars with someone who's not into it at all yet is so close to it. That would be he would I, he probably wouldn't even look at the screen, right? He yeah, would be, I mean, I, trying to do. Anything I I, I get it.
2: It's probably like the thing that gets asked about the most, and it's just a fantasy movie to him. I I, I wonder if he has the same feeling about Indiana Jones. I have a feeling he likes Indiana Jones. But he doesn't like Star Wars. So, I mean, I guess I don't know what the deal is. He loves George Lucas. George Lucas made him, but.
0: And, and do you think Filoni would uh, engage in conversation with you? If you're like, hey, um, you know, or why are... Uh... Ahsoka's lightsabers like this now. Like, do you think he'd be like, well, I I, I had a really interesting idea and then and, and I, I got it in there and I that I is actually like- that is
2: absolutely why I decided to change my answer from him because he is <laughs> notoriously tight-lipped with everybody. Like he doesn't tell the actor, he doesn't tell oh. the actors any of their backstory that they don't absolutely need to know. Like even if he knows where they're going when they die, when they like where they came from, he doesn't tell anybody anything because he just doesn't trust anybody not to spoil it.
3: Apparently, he's also Jimmy Stewart, according to KJ's interpretation. <laughs> I've never actually heard him out loud, but I, I, that's what I imagined
0: when I saw him. He's, he's not in this like John Favreau is, right? No, he no, he,
2: he didn't, he not didn't start doing this. any acting until Mandalorian. He didn't I mean, he didn't really even do any directing until The Mandalorian because this was all animation. So I, I guess you could call it supervising director, but I don't, it's not like behind the camera stuff.
1: The other thing about Dave Filoni is he hates, he loathes being on screen. So John Favreau would be like, get in that X-Wing. <laughs> and they keep trying to put him in. His character is actually called Trapper Wolf. He's a big wolf fan. He, he just likes wolves. So that's his uh, character name in the New Republic. Yeah, he,
2: he loves cowboy hats and he's from Pittsburgh too. I'm curious, this is totally off topic. I'm curious if he'll be in the new uh, Rangers episodes that are coming out on disney plus
1: big question mark even on that in general right
2: rangers is that a star wars product it's a it's a new streaming thing that's coming out for disney plus like two years from now they just announced
1: okay i'm gonna start up round two where the big points are being laid out two points per question maybe a bonus point a question if i feel like it we'll see how it all plays out
0: it's time for question three
1: the members of the clone army have mixed feelings about the war between the Galactic Republic and the separatists. The primary reason for this is...
2: Locked in.
3: Locked in. Locked in.
1: Tom, you seem passionate. Let's let's go I, I wasn't it.
3: passionate. I couldn't turn my <laughs> unmute off. <laughs> it's just like the, the click wasn't working. Um, so the, I was passionate, but it was about a simpler thing. Um, so the the clones I think are about the war with the separatists, I, I think are just I'm gonna say they're they're war weary of this battle and they want to let them go their own way.
0: Yeah, so here's another part of the show I was a little confused about. So Rex, I think he tells Ahsoka. Um, you know, the clones, uh, they, they don't know how they feel about this war. On the one hand, they don't like war. But on the other hand, we wouldn't have been made if it wasn't for the war. But they're made before the war starts. So they would have been made whether or not. I, mean, I don't know what they would have done without the war. They would, I guess they'd be hanging out on Camino in that cafeteria we always see them in. But uh, anyway, Rex says the clones are torn because they don't like the war, but they feel like they wouldn't have been made unless there was the war. All right, I, I'm I'm going to
2: answer KJ's question as well as this one. Uh, it, it is.
1: I was going to say, are you are you in uh, commentary or are you on,
2: he's going uh, to? It, it is absolutely <laughs> the fact that they they despise the war as warriors, but at the same time they know they wouldn't have existed without it. Uh, the reason why they would, the reason why they do exist, is because once again, Palpatine, Darth Sidious, is behind the creation of the clone army through uh, a, a former Jedi who then becomes well through sifo which is the Jedi's name, but he's gonna say, he's already Sifidias, dead. Yep. It's Count Dooku who goes to Camino, who commissions the creation of the Clone Army before uh, it even begins. So does Rex know that? Uh, I doubt it. I, I imagine that's kind of like top-level security kind of stuff.
0: So then what does Rex
2: mean when he says that? Well, Rex just thinks that he was created because the war started or because the war was imminent. I don't know that he would necessarily know the ins and outs of the fact that he was actually possibly created or at least designed before the war started keep in mind
1: they have an accelerated aging process too so tensions were there for quite some time even before war all that war broke out or was instigated (laughs) uh, depending on what angle we look at so that's the other part of the coin but you're absolutely right chris this was you know handled way way back when to get the ball rolling. And if there was no need for this war, whether it was justified or not.
2: Yeah. It's actually, and we can bring it back to these episodes. It's actually said in this, in this arc of episodes, I think Darth Maul says that it's been his plan all along. He's been playing both sides against each other, or maybe Obi-Wan says that actually that they've been playing both the separatists and the Republic against each other. And it goes all the way back to Sidious was helping the separatists Uh, And Senator, at the time, Senator Palpatine was helping the Republic, even though those people were one and the same. And they were both basically playing both sides in order to get exactly what they wanted. Yeah, it's also also possible that, because the clones are being created all throughout. The clones you see in episode two are not the be-all end-all. They continue to create clones all throughout, just like the Separatists continue to create droids all throughout. There's a couple episodes of the Clone Wars where the Separatists are literally trying to go and kill and, and, and take Kamino because they know if they, if they took the cloning facilities, they would, they would basically hamstring the army. Uh, that's where you meet Fives and Echo in that, in that arc ah. of the Clone Wars. But yeah, so they, the clones are being made all throughout the war. So maybe who knows when Rex was born? Was he the first one? Was he the second one? The seventh one? Or was he the thousandth one? some of the clones were probably only created after the creation of the war, the beginning of the war, and were literally made because of it.
0: That makes a lot more sense. And, and most of the clones at this point are probably the second or third batch. There, right? It makes a lot more sense. We're at the end of the Clone Wars. These clones were made for the wars. Okay, that makes a lot more sense uh, why, why Rex would say that. What, what are they cloned off of?
3: Weren't they cloned off of Boba Fett?
0: They're
2: cloned of it? a Django Fett.
1: No,
3: his father.
2: Django okay, Fett. Okay,
1: his
3: father. All right. So they're That's another point. we now know so as
1: <laughs> They
3: can't go before Django <laughs> Fett, right? No, he was the donor. But they like he he it was, can't it can't be generation one thousand because
1: Django Fett isn't old enough. No, they have an enhanced aging process. They they have they grow faster. The only one who doesn't have that since we're getting super nerdy, which is what this podcast is all about. When he made Boba Fett, which was his son, he specifically said that I want him to age normally. All the other clones age faster. So they reach maturity, uh, fighting age quicker. But
3: Django Fett isn't a clone, right?
1: No, he's the donor.
3: So he wouldn't age faster. No, he's talking about Boba. So Django is the donor. The only... So here's, yeah, here's my point. <laughs> There is a bracket to when these clones could have
2: started because they couldn't have started before Django was born. Yes, but we're this, not talking. This is that only far like back. four years after Episode Two. Even at even the last moment of the Clone Wars is still only three years after the conclusion of Episode Two. All of those clones are technically three years old that you see on on screen in the Clone Wars.
3: Oh, okay. They're they're, they're that they're that they sped come up out of the womb. What Nick is yeah, saying okay.
2: is that when Django Fett was commissioned to give his DNA to do this, because he's a Mandalorian, most like, apparently now, uh, he was commissioned that he said that he wanted as a payment he wanted his own clone, but he didn't want it to have any of the genetic modifications or sp- speeding up. So that's why Boba Fett ages normally, and he's still a kid, even when all of his uh, brothers and sisters... I guess it's all brothers... When all of the brothers Brothers, are speeding speeding up.
1: The points for that one were two for Chris and two for KJ. It's time for question four. Clone protocol 66, commonly referred to as order 66, is comprised of two tenants to determine who should be executed for committing treason.
3: What are these? Locked in.
1: Locked in.
0: Locked in. Okay. KJ. The two tenants. Um, so the easier one is clones that don't uh, follow this order, right? That's the kind of the easy one. The other one felt loosey goosey to me. It's either Jedi. It might be Jedi and Sith. It might be Jedi Sith force users. It might not. It's the the second tenant is a little wishy washy. Uh, so yeah, clones who don't adhere and um, some kind of loose Jedi-ish situation.
2: Chris? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to say something similar. The the second part about the Jedi gets a little gray, uh, but definitely kill the Jedi and kill anybody that is aiding the Jedi, including other clones. I'm
3: going to say something similar. Um, People uh, will be identified as traitors to the Galactic Republic. If you are assisting a Jedi... Um, to to evade Order 66, to evade execution, and therefore you'll be executed. Or if you are a Jedi, then then you are a traitor to the Galactic Republic and therefore will be subject to execution.
1: I'm going to give the points to everybody. And I think this is a fun thing to talk about, specifically what everyone was dancing around, the one tenet of this code. Everyone's going to get two points the Jedi portion of this. Now, there's a lot of things we can talk about here because they still were going to kill Ahsoka. She technically wasn't a Jedi. She was raised as a Jedi. She left the Jedi Order. But if Rex wasn't there, I'm pretty sure, I don't know what your opinions are, that she was a goner. The other side of the coin is, I don't think it has to do with Sith. This goes beyond this material, but there's a group called the Inquisitors who have Sith training, who actually operate in the empire to hunt down the remaining Jedi. So it's not all force users, but do you think that Ahsoka was a gunner like I do?
3: Yeah, they're, they're trying to kill her. That was the, mm-hmm. the last episode, right? was, let's kill her. And then when Rex puts forward the argument that she's not a Jedi, it's it's sort of immediately rejected
2: as seen by the, the fight sequence. Yeah, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure. I, I think this goes back to one of the things we said earlier, the use of the term Jedi versus the use of the generic term about a Force user not for the Empire is what I think it really comes down to. Because what you alluded to with the Inquisitors is absolutely right, that there are, there's literally a squad of individuals who are themselves Force users who are under the leadership of Darth Vader, who is under the direction of Emperor Palpatine to go out and find Force users and either terminate them or sway them to their side. So I, I think they're saying Jedi, just to make it kind of cut and dry for the viewer a little bit. But that leads to gray areas, which I feel like, this episode tried to fill a plot hole in that where in the original, the original selling, the original telling in the, in the movie was execute order 66 killed the Jedi when actually in Canon has now order 66 kill the Jedi or the force users who don't agree with us is what it probably should have been. And the, them point them pointing out that Ahsoka is not a Jedi, but we're still going to kill her anyhow is not, filling a plot hole, but at least acknowledging it exists and acknowledging that it's, it's, it's weird.
1: But that's not as catchy, Chris. Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think it's also that you have a group of people who have been psychologically trained by chip or, or, Pavlovian whatever it is i think it's a chip right it's a chip in their head um, yep. to kill people they associate who they think of as jedi so it's always filtered through the clone the individual clones understanding and they are completely on board with calling her commander with thinking of her as a jedi and they lose complete control they become they become pavlovian responders once Order 66 is issued. And if they have it in their head that, you know, this woman is a Jedi, I don't care what no counsel says, she's, she's my Jedi.
1: They're going to respond accordingly. If you remember the scene when the switch flips, Rex brings up his gun and his hand is shaking. He's compelled to do it. He's compelled. So they do seem to be understanding that they have no say in the matter. It's going to happen. Some of them seem to embrace it a little bit more, but there was a connection specifically between Rex and. And, and I think
2: to go back on the idea that it may, it's not just Jedi, it's Force users against the Empire is that they almost instantaneously then go and say kill Maul, who is not a Jedi, who is a Force user that is against Palpatine's plans. Uh, I don't know how the 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 clones would know it. I don't know if like Palpatine can download a list of names at the time when he when he wants, and that those are the those are the individuals that got to go. Uh, that's not really explained, and probably a little little weird, but I don't necessarily know that it has anything to do with them being a Jedi. It's just it's a Force user that is in a, in a danger to the Emperor's plans, and it has to go.
3: When when do they try and kill Maul? When do the clones? He right after
2: right after that scene. Well, the
3: well, tr- he's trying to get on the plane, though, right? Or trying to get a spacecraft? No, at this point, Maul
0: is uh, locked in the Mandalorian Jedi locker. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. I got you. Sorry. And then Order yep. 66. Mm-hmm. And I it, I don't know if it's Rex. I don't know who says it. It's probably not. I don't know. Somebody says, so-and-so, go find Ahsoka, and you guys go down and deal with Maul, you know, finish Maul off.
1: So. It was yeah. Rex. Oh, it was Rex. Okay. Order it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
3: Uh, I forgot about that. That's right. Hmm.
1: It looks like we have a tie between Chris and KJ. So let's throw this bonus question out there and see what happens. It's time for a bonus question. While attempting to stop Maul from escaping, Ahsoka admits to him Obi-Wan was right. Why is this?
0: Locked in.
2: Yeah, locked in. Chris. He's hard to kill.
0: Yeah, that's my answer too, right? It, it's almost like an Obi-Wan quip, like from uh, episode one where he says to Qui-Gon, the negotiations were short. Like it's, it's a very Obi-Wan quip that Ahsoka's doing. <laughs>
1: and we're going to go to another bonus question because you both got right. You are difficult to kill, says Ahsoka. It's time for a bonus question. In the end sequence, Darth Vader discovers Ahsoka's blue lightsaber in the wreckage. Years, I think, years later. He looks up in the sky. What does he see? Locked in. Locked in. KJ.
0: Dave Filoni. You can't really see it. It's more of a reflection on the eyes of his helmet. But uh, he, you know, he didn't want to be in there. The animators put him in. Dave Filoni looking at the at the at the at the uh, audience one last time.
1: Can you clarify if it's Dave Filoni or Trapper Wolf?
0: In no, I'm not versed well enough to uh, <laughs> to
1: know the the, uh, the difference there. Was he wearing a cowboy hat or a X-wing fighter pilot helmet? <laughs> it
0: was like a one of those t-shirts with the wolves on it, like the big wolf head. And then there's like three
2: of them. That could be either. Not quite tie dye. That's what he wears under his flight suit. He wears wears the wolf head under the flight (laughs) suit.
1: I'm sure it's there. I'm sure it's there. I'm
2: going to answer this, but I'm also going to tell KJ that this was not fair because this is from Rebels. Uh, He sees a a, a flying animal. Uh, We're led to believe that it's an owl because the owl is a symbol that she sees when she pops up in Rebels as Fulcrum.
1: Yes, the actual bird is called a convor, which is an owl bird. But I would have accepted owl, bird, pretty much anything but Dave Filoni or Trapper Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> so the episode goes to Chris. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank Woo! you. Thank you. Uh... It's time for Movie Rant. So one of the things I actually did want to rant about specifically the last episode in this sequence, episode 12, entitled Victory and Death. The concept or the theme of downfall. So we're on a star destroyer that is pulled out of hyperspace and is falling down to the planet. But I thought this was really symbolic of the end of the overall conflict. And I really wanted to see if I was the only one who had this read on it. But I saw multiple downfalls. Yes, the literal Star Destroyer, but I also saw the turn of Anakin to the dark side, the downfall of the Jedi Order, as well as the Galactic Republic on a whole. And even the clones themselves, the only ones to survive that were Rex and Ahsoka. And they went through great lengths to make sure each of them had a proper burial. But I think that was symbolic of the war is now over they are also gone so i don't know if i'm alone with that but i thought that was really powerful as a way to show the ending of such a a great conflict and really encompassing multiple parts of this conflict
3: yeah i think the the things collapsing at the end are symbolic of that as you're saying as well as the winter landscape you know, this is a thing that that begins in what appears to be a, a kind of a spring day on a bridge, right, at this kind of, and, and it takes place in these urban environments and it moves from there to this really dark city. We spend a lot of time in hallways, like underground hallways, um, and then it ends in winter. And, you know, this is, this is the nature of, uh, you know, kind of the nature of tragedy, right? It's something that begins in spring and ends in winter. Um, And, you know, I think that that downfall is it moves through the fire, hits the ground and, it you know, the the show ends up wrapping up in in the cold with, you know, everything that was suspended and hopeful buried in that ice.
2: Yeah, I I like the fact that it ends in winter. I think that I think you're absolutely on to something where like the, the ship crash lands and it's still like it's still green. And then as time goes past, which however long it might be, could be days, could be years the empire is taken hold and the planet has turned to winter and it's probably just seasonal on that planet, but it's definitely symbolic of the idea of the, the, the death of, of hope perhaps at that point, I really thought the ending of this episode, the, the beginning of it's okay, the fighting and stuff like that, getting past the clones, I got a little tight tiresome for me. I really like the last few minutes because there are, there's no dialogue at the eight minute mark to the end. Uh, Rex tells Ahsoka to come on and get on to the Y-Wing, and that is the last piece of dialogue in the entire show. The, the, the Y-Wing crashing towards the ground, trying to, try, trying to chase the Venator, and then the entire scene with Darth Maul is completely done just with like orchestral music over the, back, over the backdrop. There's no sound, and you don't need it. You can see it in, in Darth Vader's face. Uh, if you actually, and this is super, super deep, if you look at the shape of the way that they drew his helmet, they drew it differently than it's ever been seen. Idea is possibly that they want you to think that maybe he's got an, an ounce of remorse in him for what has happened to Ahsoka. But it's it's probably not because you see through the red lens of his, of his OG Darth Vader helmet. Uh, but they draw even the the cowl of the helmet in such a way that makes it look more somber than it does in, it looks more aggressive and angry in A New Hope and in it definitely in Rebels, it looks super, the brow is super like aggressive in Rebels to show he's even more angry than he was before. This one, they're showing it, whether it's a new helmet or a different helmet, they're showing it a little bit more open. So he felt for Ahsoka and it definitely was, like you said, it was the fall and everything about it was definitely a fall.
0: My new helmet canon is that he's got a bunch of helmets and depending on how he's feeling when he wakes up, he kind of picks what the eyebrows should uh, should look like.
2: I
1: feel like they do that on like Lego Star Wars. You know, how they like spin their head around. <laughs> Isn't there that it?
2: shirt that says "This is my emotion" and it's like nine emotions and it's all Darth Vader's face and it's like happy, sad. And they're all the same. <laughs> We've totally blown that out of the water. That shirt is bunked. That shirt needs to get off the market right now.
3: <laughs> I, I have to. I think my favorite character is still is Maul. Um, he's the, he's the perfect combination of wisdom and incompetence. It, it, you know, it seems like he, he has this line I you know, I wrote down that uh that justice is merely the construct of the current power base. You know, which is yeah, which is this, yeah, great, great. This is why I said again, Machiavellian, because that's that's a great line. And I think honestly, it's kind of true in the frame that we've been given for these episodes.
1: That's why I really liked Episode 10, which was the second of this arc, because you get a lot of dialogue from Maul. And it reveals things we may have known from other material or alluded to. He just outright says what his master was planning all along and certain elements that were outside his vision that are now coming to fruition. And he can see the angles and how he was moving the chess pieces before he hit checkmate. So I really like that. Some of the ones, just like Chris was saying before, the last third, fourth episode, they get a little bit shooty-shooty, you know? But that one was pretty good. The end was solid, but I do also thoroughly enjoy Maul. He was such a good part of the Phantom Menace movie and was underutilized. He finally has some of that dialogue and some of that appeal that may not have been there when we just got a glimpse of him in an episode
2: even though i said earlier that i thought maul was a pawn all along and i guess that was question two's answer i do feel like he's one of the characters that has probably grown the most in star wars uh there are times not in this arc unfortunately i keep referencing other things but there are times when he's with savage his brother spelled savage because we have no uh no ability to come up with good names uh yeah. Star Wars game. He he preaches patience. He preaches a Jedi tenant to his own brother. Patience, brother. We will get there. Patience. It's slow. It's a slow process. We will do it. And I don't know if this is something he picked up while kind of understanding Sidious's plan because he's the ultimate slow play of the whole thing. Uh, but I, I see a lot of growth in Maul, even though he still, in my opinion, never really understands that he's always being used. Uh, he does have those really good quotes. He does basically you know drop truth on the ground and I, I do like his character a lot i would love to see more of him
3: he has a yeah he has a lot of wisdom and and he's i so i'll ask this is he wrong about anything i feel like ahsoka part of the journey for ahsoka while she's our main character is she gets to develop and learn something and for her this is a. It's, it's, you know, it's a tragedy or a tragic comedy
2: maybe because she doesn't die. You have to remember, he starts out behind the curtain though. He's with the Emperor at the very beginning. So he mm-hmm. he knows where it started and he was able to put the pieces together mm-hmm. a little bit, maybe more fully than others. And I think that's another reason why he seems to be more on top of his game. But you also have to understand that after the Clone Wars, he goes and makes an entire criminal underworld, which he seeded in, in Clone Wars and that eventually you see come to fruition mm-hmm. so low. And you don't know how that necessarily ends, but apparently it does. But like, he's successful. He uses his power to his gain.
3: Yeah, he seems to be an honest, another type of rebel against the Empire, right? Because he, if he's working underground, isn't that in opposition to kind of law and order, which seems to be the mantra of the Empire?
1: This is part of that big character development arc Chris alluded to so when he first is under cities he actually is pretty much just a ruthless killer but i would say maul is the ultimate survivor because he finds he got cut in half in episode one okay and he used his hate and rage to stay alive so that he could then get new legs and be what he is today And he learned from that, and that's where the patience came in. Because if you go into some of the earlier material, just like Chris was talking about some of the comics, he was just trying to hunt out and kill Jedi even before Palpatine wanted him to. He was really aggressive. And then he realized all the moving pieces and found, even in this show, he was trying to already set the plans for how to survive in the new world when the Empire takes over.
2: I and feel like his character, his, his episode one character is what Grievous became. Because like, Grievous has that same story. Like He wants to hunt Jedi for, for sport or whatever it is because his culture is warrior hunter in nature. And I think they decided to take Maul, which started out, like like Nick said, in comics beforehand, he actually goes against the Emperor's wishes or at that time, Darth Sidious's wishes and, and hunts a Jedi when he shouldn't be because he's supposed to be hiding. And he's not. He's actually going out there hunting a Jedi, and he grows. He he gets more in tune with the environment. He learns, and he is absolutely one hundred percent a survivor.
3: Yeah, yeah. I I, it seems like he has the best advice for everybody. Also, (laughs) you know, um, he he understands what's going on. He understands kind of philosophically what's going on, and his advice isn't isn't bad. (laughs) Somebody should. Should probably take him up on that. Um, the, the idea that, you know, we need to kill Anakin actually turns out to be the best thing in the world.
1: The only one who says things more eloquently in the Star Wars universe, in my opinion, which goes way out of the topic we're talking about, is Grand Admiral Thrawn. But we'll save that for the future because they keep teasing him in a lot of recent Star Wars material. So I think I'll save that for another time.
3: I will say the worst line, though, was also Maul's, um, every moment of your life has led to this. I, 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 ugh, I
1: hate that's that such line. A Sith, that's such a Sith line, though. It's such
3: a like generic bad guy line. It's like saying your world will fall.
2: It's up there with unlimited power. Oh, about. that's the best line in cinematic history ever.
1: Unlimited <laughs> power. <laughs> well, guys, this was another fun one. I'm going to be congratulating Chris not only for winning, but really, we're just glad to have you back on the show with us today. So, thanks for coming back and and of course, your superior Star Wars knowledge did get us all in the end it seems.
2: Uh well thank you very much for having me. This is this was the episode that I was hoping to get asked to come back for. Uh the Spaceballs one and uh the Halloween one. They were just they were just little morsels feeding me, getting me ready for this moment. So I, I really appreciate it. And I hope to come back again in the near future when you talk about anything Star Wars.
1: I think we already have you on the hook for something that might be a little different than we're normally doing, but is definitely within the Star Wars universe. So stay tuned for that announcement in the weeks slash months to come. Not really sure. Excellent. Check out our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com for more information about us and our episodes. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts as well as our YouTube channel. We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. Do you think this was a solid conclusion to the Clone Wars? Why or why not? Leave a comment on our YouTube channel and let's continue the conversation. Join us next time when we discuss KJ's recommendation from Japan in 2006, Memories of Matsuko. Talk to you then. Ding, 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 ding. Should I just jump, wrap it up and we can do a little rant just because we're off for time? Yeah, that sounds good. You know, I do have more to say. We're tied. Just Why don't you say it? Oh, no. Everybody's tied? Well, not me. (laughs) No, Tom's not tied. True.
0: So we we can have a loser, but we can't have a winner right now.
1: (laughs) Oh, oh, okay, 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 (laughs) okay. Can the winner be the loser this (laughs) time or vice versa? Okay, I won. (laughs) (laughs) It looks like we have a tie.